0: All right, thanks for joining me here with uh, Freedom is Scary Live, uh, number three, I believe. And today I wanted to talk about Brazilian jiu-jitsu and are things different now in 2020 um, because of what happened with the George Floyd case. And I've got here with me today a good friend of mine, Adam Martin. Let me see if I can bring him up here. Uh, Hey, Adam, how you doing?
1: Hey,
0: John. Good, man. How are you? Good, good. And, uh, Adam, I wanted to, uh, I'll just introduce Adam real quick. Uh, Adam's, uh, a good friend of ours and he, he, uh, was my kid's Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach uh, until he moved away and he lives over in the Cincinnati area right now. And he was just, um, a, a wonderful coach for, for our son. And, uh, we got to know him really well and, and got to know, uh, jujitsu really well also. And, uh, you know, I was telling Adam before that, well, i also state that Adam also is, has, uh, had careers in law enforcement. So, so he's, uh, you know, in a, in a good position to have this discussion with me about, um, how things might be different. So, um, just to give some background on, on, uh, why we're talking about this with, a lot of the cases that I do are what we would call excessive force cases. So, you know, if you see a police shooting case, as far as the issue of whether or not that's a civil rights violation, the that's a uh, that's an excessive force issue. So, uh, if you see a, a a a police beating case, that is an excessive force issue. Uh, the George Floyd case, that is was an excessive force issue. So w- when the courts are looking at a, a police use of force to determine whether or not it's legal, there's really two different situations and two different standards. One is just a guy walking on the street, such as George Floyd. Um, that is under the Fourth Amendment. You have a right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. And um, there's a balancing test with four factors. Those are called the gram factors. And basically the court looks at, um, you know, a number of things. Um, one, what, what's the crime involved? Did, did he just uh, shoplift something or did he just rob a bank at gunpoint? Because th- those are going to bring in two different um, levels of force that might be reasonable. Uh, secondly, Um, whether there was some sort of immediate threat to the officer or or an individual. Uh, Three, whether or not the person was actively resisting arrest at the time. So really three factors. So that's uh, a George Floyd type situation. That's what the courts look at. And uh, I do a lot of that. And then you have a second category of cases, and that's where you have uh, uh, what's called a pretrial detainee. So that could be somebody in jail who hasn't been convicted yet. So he's not a prisoner, but he's in jail. He hasn't been convicted or he's at some point in between. He could be in handcuffs at a police station. He could be in a police car. And that is a slightly different analysis that's using the 14th Amendment. And we don't use the gram factors uh, under that scenario. You use... um, um, a couple bizarre sentences such as quote, inflicted unnecessary and wanton pain and suffering upon the detainee, or uh, whether force was applied in a good faith effort to maintain or restore discipline or maliciously and sadistically for the very purpose of causing harm. And what does that mean? That's that's a good question. And at some point those have to be boiled down to jury instructions. Um, So, those are the two real scenarios. Again, the George Floyd type scenario, just a police officer encounter with a civilian on the street. It could be an arrest or, or some uh, tra- traffic stop gone wrong, whatever the case may be. Generally, we're looking at the grand factors. Um, so uh, there could be a big change now. And I was, I was talking to Adam about this before. Um, Adam, following the George Floyd um, incident, uh, President Trump issued an executive order in June that specifically referred to what are, quote, chokeholds, June 16th, 2020. And the executive order directed the Department of Justice to to uh, come up with this criteria addressing excessive use of force and, and uh, the ban of the use of chokeholds, except when the use of deadly force is lawful. Um, and then there were several states, well, n- numerous states, that followed suit and and just enacting legislation that banned quote chokeholds. And so I asked myself, well, what is a chokehold? Because I know from my my experience of just watching a whole lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu that that's not that that's a much more complex topic than than just. Doing something that looks like you're choking somebody. There's all sorts of different uh, techniques used to control people and and get people to to uh, you know submit. So I looked at the Trump executive order, and it stated that chokeholds were quote a physical maneuver that restricts an individual's ability to breathe for the purpose of incapac- incapacitation. <laughs> And I don't know how many of the other states adopted that language, but if they're going to be in compliance with this executive order and they're, they're altering all of their use of force policies to come into compliance with the federal government so that they don't lose funding or whatever the case may be, maybe that's the, the definition that's used. Uh, so l- let me ask you, Adam, what, what technically is a chokehold?
1: Yeah. So even even what you just read there, the executive order, uh, that's somewhat ambiguous, John, because, uh, you know, it, that sounds to me like we're talking about a wind choke. And so there's two chokes basically that we can use there's a wind choke and a blood choke. And, and the most common that we see is the, the, the carotid neck restraint, right, where we're using the vascular chokehold. And uh, to, to put it in layman's terms, uh, back in the professional wrestling days, we refer to this as what? the sleeper hold and uh, as jiu jitsu practitioners we understand kind of uh, the science behind what it is we're trying to do so on each side of the neck we have a carotid artery that carries blood to the brain if we close one uh, blood still uh, actively going through the other getting to the brain we have no loss of consciousness but when we close both for six or seven seconds uh, blood stops going to the brain we have a loss of consciousness any jiu jitsu practitioner has uh, certainly throughout uh, if you've been been practicing for any any amount of time has experienced this um, you know i I have witnessed it I'm sure you have too at, at various jujitsu tournaments gosh uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of times and I to my knowledge I've, I've never witnessed anyone uh, with any any greater damage than a momentary loss of
0: consciousness you know so Uh, i assume i I assume you've seen as we all have the george floyd video i have of course yes what is what you saw in that video is that something that you would even refer to as a chokehold
1: yeah so so not it's not readily apparent uh as as being a chokehold i think what we saw there was uh the knee on neck uh so so certainly um certainly it's possible uh to to close both carotids that way. I would imagine his knee was closing one uh, and, and potentially uh, the gentleman's uh, uh, the victim uh, shoulder was, was closing the other. Uh, and if that's the case, then, then, then I, it's plausible. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a poor example. And, you know, there's been a lot of Brazilian jitsu talk surrounding that video. And I, I don't really see any real Brazilian jujitsu in, in that, Particular uh, use of force. I mean, it, it's just uh, uh, that was so far beyond the realm of what was reasonable that uh, you know we can all agree that what we see there is, is just um, horrific. Um,
0: I've I've been in a few debates just going to the topic of should police officers train Brazilian jiu-jitsu? and I've heard some of them say, and I'm firmly of the belief that. That, that they should. and uh, because I, I think that if you if you're used to just controlling people or av- avoiding being controlled all day every day and and you're you're that comfortable with it, you know you're going to be more relaxed, more calm in a use of force situation or a dangerous situation and it, you're not going to overreact. you're not going to use it, it, it have to use, uh, excessive force because you, you know what you're doing now that's just my opinion i don't i don't have to deal with people on the street and so others have told me that they think you know it could be used against them in court or they're concerned that that uh their employer is, is not going to allow them to train brazilian jiu-jitsu because uh, it's against their policy or uh, you know, especially now that we've got the word chokehold being used. Um, what's I mean what what's the word on the street um at, at this point in the in the jiu-jitsu community um, regarding you know law enforcement using or training in jiu-jitsu going forward?
1: <clears throat> yeah, John, so so when we talk about Brazilian jujitsu and training, it encompasses far more than uh the the chokehold uh, discussion. Uh, there's ways of controlling using limbs. Uh, there's ways of controlling simply using pinning techniques. Uh, as you're aware, you know, we often talk about the mounted position. We talk about uh, various manners of, of side control or controlling the subject from, from behind. Uh, and all of these are, are components of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I think as practitioners, we're sure we're alarmed because, uh, you know, at this point, a lot of agencies are jumping out in front. NYPD being one of the most recent that I've that I've watched, absolutely banning all chokeholds and all sorts of various even potential pinning techniques uh, that might restrict breathing. Um, once again, uh, you, you know, I go back to to thinking about. When I first started training Brazilian Jiu Jitsu John, uh, you know, I really, I was working in a United States penitentiary at the time. Uh, the same penitentiary where Whitey Bulger was, was brutally murdered uh, just a few years ago. And, and uh, I knew that I needed some form of training beyond what the federal prison had given me. And uh, the federal prison system, it was, it was terrible. I mean, it was, it was, it was terrible understates the, the training that these guys are getting. Uh, and so I found Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. This was back in 2012, and and the first class that I went to, I'll, I'll never forget it. Right, I, I was in uh, up in Morgantown, West Virginia, and uh, you know they gave me a gi, and I put the gi on. I had no idea what I was doing, and I, I wasn't a big guy, but I wasn't a small guy either. I was probably 200 pounds, 310 pounds, and this little guy, uh, probably 120 pounds, just absolutely wore me out. He put me on my back. I couldn't move. I couldn't get up. And, and I believed then I thought, man, I have found the golden ticket here as it relates to self-defense. And I still believe that I still believe that Brazilian Jiu uh, is, uh, the number one martial art, uh, for combative scenarios, uh, just by the very nature of, of the way, uh, um, combat takes place. And um, i'm I'm alarmed I think everyone is in the community about what call it the overreach the overreached uh, post uh, uh, post the George floyd scenario
0: here's the here's the big the big thing that pops out at me as to, to the direction that we're heading. and you know from my point of view, I generally sue the police and sure. i'm not I'm not the one defending the police um, but i also I also um, value um, the right to self-defense. And I believe that the, that is one of our inalienable rights to defend ourselves. And the Second Amendment is part of that. And a, a basic component of that is is that all citizens in our country have the right to engage in self-defense. So if we exclude now police officers from being able to do what civilians can do you know that's a problem so if if now because the, the state of the law as it's been is that generally a police use of force is judged basically as as any other use of force it's it it essentially boils down to um, a self defense analysis you know was did you act reasonably Given what you knew, what you were presented with, were you were you, was this did this person appear to be dangerous to somebody, a safety threat, and were you reasonably in fear for your physical safety or somebody else's physical safety? And that's basically the same standard that we are all judged by if we have to defend ourselves physically. And so, why train? martial arts any martial arts if you're not allowed to use it in a self-defense situation so if now we're placing police officers in the unique position that well if they get attacked and uh short of a deadly force situation they can't they can't use the the same martial arts training that civilians can use
1: yeah can you imagine can you imagine being attacked and saying Okay, now you can respond, but you can't do this and this and this, right? You can respond to the attack, but you you can't employ any of these three particular methods to defend yourself.
0: Well, well, we know where this goes, right? It, it's anytime government gets involved with things, we have the law of unintended consequences. Yes, so exactly. if so, if you know, if we truly believe, because we know that training and how to control people in a, in a in physical in a physical confrontation we know that that is going to lead to less injuries for both people involved yes because they're not going to just be standing there swinging at each other there's going to be other options on the table and, and there's lots of videos on youtube showing showing uh real fights with real jujitsu jitsu trained people um people uh taking them, uh, taking control of the situation and, and putting a stop to whatever was happening. On the other hand, there's also lots of videos of people just going at it with no training whatsoever. And, and so don't we then find a situation where we're going to have a worse outcome or worst outcomes as a result of less options being on the table. It's like not having, it's like not having, uh, um, you know, a Pepper spray or a taser, for instance. Sure. I mean, that that leaves only two options: you you fight you fight hand to hand, or you you fire your firearm. You know, John, um, I've
1: said for a long time, and what you just mentioned uh, uh, kind of reminded me of something I've said for quite a while. You know, police officers wear a tool belt, right? And on that tool belt, they they have potentially a taser. They might have pepper spray. They have handcuffs, and all of these things are available to them to use uh, to defend themselves or others. And uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, is also something that uh, is kind of the invisible on the tool belt, right? You, it's it's something that that you have you have knowledge of how to use. Uh, And again, without getting too technical into this, because I know most folks watching this are not going to be Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners, but how to use underhooks and how to use uh, how to control someone's hips to keep them from moving. And uh, that those things really allow us to potentially control someone without having to go to uh, potentially other things that uh, have the propensity to cause more harm. Uh, that that we may have on our tool belt. You know, we're able to to use hands-on techniques that are that uh, you know, jujitsu. Uh, the interpretation for jujitsu is the gentle art, right? And in, in the idea that in the idea that we can control someone without uh, without causing uh, significant injuries. L-
0: um, let me go back to the the definition of chokehold again. The Trump executive order said, "Quote a physical maneuver that restricts an individual's ability to breathe for the purposes of incapacitation." So, all right, if if we use the definition, restricts ability to breathe. Now, when, when you mention your your carotid arteries, I mm-hmm. mean, are you so is a a uh, a submission in jujitsu? that restricts those arteries, are you restricting the person's breathing or are you restricting the blood flow?
1: That's right. Yeah, good question. Um, So yeah, for sure, you're restricting the blood flow. Uh, You'll see many jiu-jitsu practitioners in tournaments, uh, that get caught in a choke and they're trying to fight their way way out of the choke. There's no pain in that. Uh, Unfortunately, what happens are they get caught in that choke and they're trying to fight their way out of that choke uh, and they lose consciousness. Uh, at the point of losing consciousness, uh, uh, you know, there's are always a referee there. The referee will acknowledge that the opponent has lost consciousness uh, and the uh, the competitor will then release the chokehold. Uh Eight, 10, 12 seconds, the blood flow starts going back to the brain and, and uh, you know, the person the person's finding. I've literally seen them go on to their next match five minutes later. Um, so you're you're not restricting the ability to breathe that sounds more to me like I would worry about that potentially from uh, there are some maneuvers where we put pressure on the diaphragm and and restricting a person's ability to to, to breathe well and uh, you know that'll oftentimes lead to submission too uh, in a mounted position that like I know you're familiar with a lot of times we'll use kind of use hooks on the person's legs, pushing our hips into the diaphragm and restricting the diaphragm. But as you read that, uh, executive order, John, it, it, it really, I think, I think that uh, the blood choke was their intended target, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they, that they meet it by their own words there.
0: Right. Because they, I mean, I think it's a common misconception that, that, uh, these these actual blood chokes are are choke holds that you're just restricting the breathing so you know some of these state there's been several state uh enactments banning chokeholds so we've got iowa they just used the word chokehold they banned chokeholds we have uh delaware they issued an order banning the use of chokeholds and they also Let's see, Governor Lamont of Connecticut bans he quote banned the Connecticut State Police from using chokeholds, strangle holds, armbar control holds, wow. lateral lateral vascular neck restraints. I guess that's the the phrase that Trump was probably going for. So so go
1: back go back to that. He he also you said arm bars is is, is that
0: oh, here. Yeah, let me finish. They must have had somebody knowledgeable uh, in Connecticut. So, Connecticut. Yeah, Connecticut. Choke holds, strangle holds, arm bar control holds, lateral vascular neck restraints, carotid restraints, chest compressions, or any other tactics mm-hmm. that restrict oxygen or blood flow to the head or neck. That's
1: so that's
0: that's Connecticut. That's So
1: everyone with Connecticut State Police should resign. Uh, because what is is pending out of that, they sh- either should resign or ultimately, over the course of a twenty-year career, the things that these men and women will encounter will certainly put them into positions where these things should be utilized. That is, that is, that is so far out in left field. It's terrible. Uh, you know, police unions uh, uh, historically. I'm, I'm sure that that you'll agree. Police unions have been. Have been quite strong, and oftentimes, uh, I'm sure uh, through your position, you have uh, probably felt as though police unions prevented uh, good, transparent policing at times. And uh, why in the world a police union wouldn't uh, wouldn't absolutely be jumping up? We should have all heard about this in Connecticut, right? That should be national news. They should be they should be uh, uh, playing this. The police union should be screaming from the from the treetops on that.
0: Yeah, I hadn't heard anything about the. Uh, I, I just happened to be looking it up this morning to, to see what states had actually taken, you know, enacted legislation or or executive wow. orders, you know, specifically using uh, the word chokeholds. Because I, I was as I was telling you earlier, I've had a quote ch- a chokehold case before, or or a couple of them where that was one component of the of the excessive force issue. And I can remember just scouring the entire country looking for federal case law, finding that it was inappropriate for a police officer to use Joe Cold under a certain circumstance. And I was really limited to, I think California, maybe maybe New York, there was a case or two, but there really was nothing throughout the entire country that specifically found that that chokeholds are, are uh, excessive in and of themselves, and I think my case that I dealt with, and that was the Sawyer v. Asbury case, I think it was 2013 at the Fourth Circuit, it specifically mentioned chokeholds, and that was one of the first times I believe that here in the Fourth Circuit that there was a chokehold case, but it wasn't just a chokehold. There was a There was an alleged punch before the chokehold, but the court included the word chokehold in there. And that was before really I learned anything about Brazilian jiu-jitsu and and uh, kind of figured out that that was a misnomer anyways. Um, And I think and I think a lot of us just want to say that, you know, anytime you got an arm or a knee or whatever the case may be around someone's neck and it looks like they're they're you know, can't breathe or that it's a quote chokehold, but as Connecticut realized there, there's a, the definition is actually much broader. So um, in Connecticut, I mean, any person walking on the street, I mean, we joke around that somebody who's a, a a black belt in something has to register their their hands as deadly weapons. Yeah, I've heard. Um, so,
1: I've had people tell me. I've had people tell me that. You know, they talk about their, they have to register their hands and that. Or, that's possible, but.
0: Or uh, Rex Quando, you know, from Napoleon Dynamite. But, <laughs> yes. Like nobody <laughs> wants nobody wants to be kicked in the face while I'm wearing these pants. <laughs> yeah. So so even even, uh, like just anybody on the street, if they get attacked or they get in a fight, whatever, if they're having to use self-defense, they have all of those, those, you know, potential, um, list of things at their, you know, if they know how to do it, you know, you say arm bars, uh, choke holds, uh, carotid restraints, lateral vascular neck restraints. Maybe you can say what that is, but you know, the, the standard is the self-defense analysis. If it's reasonable under the circumstances because this person was attacking me or attacking somebody else, if it's reasonable, it's reasonable. And, and that is the analysis. That's why we built courthouses. That's why we have the right to a jury trial in criminal and civil cases. But now we have this government action that is taking a group of people and limiting the sort of self-defense that they're allowed to engage in. I mean, it just, it just really blows my mind. And again, I'm not, I'm not on the side of defending police officers, but at some point, I mean, they're, they're, they're violating the civil rights of individuals in Connecticut. Anybody who works as a police officer.
1: You know, you know, John, I think back to discussions that you and you and I have had, uh, perhaps sitting on your, on your porch uh, through the years. And, it's funny because I can't help but think about how, you know, it's it's funny how the pendulum swings, right? We never it seems like things never come into balance, right? They they swing from one side all the way to the other, and uh, do there need to be uh, some reforms on police use of force? Yeah, absolutely, and I don't and I don't think the police would disagree. You know, prior to our conversation today, I printed out this is and it, forgive me, it's not color, but you will see this, this is called a use of force continuum. And often it'll be in colors of red and orange. And when you start looking at a use of force continuum, so these are the things that law enforcement agencies are using to train their police. Uh, and I was was looking at something here, the most alarming thing to me in the, in, in the area that I think has the most uh, mechanism for injury, I, I mentioned this to you a few minutes ago, um, So if someone is passively resistant, you can use pain compliance techniques, takedowns or chemical agents. Now, out of all those things, the most alarming to me are takedowns. Those are, that is exactly uh, um, when when someone, uh, the police are not, they do not receive a great deal of training throughout their police academy training, typically a week or two is devoted to self-defense tactics. And um, in a week or two, it's difficult, it's impossible to achieve any level of proficiency at all. So when we start talking about someone being passively resistant, um, gosh, there are a number of ways you can be passively resistant. The police can give you uh, in order to take your hands out of your pockets and and uh, uh, stand still right and and you refuse to do so and then you then you get taken down well the the taken down aspect uh, when someone when someone hits the ground there's far there's far more mechanism for serious injury on this takedown issue than there is on this carotid restraint but we have we have seen some, uh, some cases that uh, you know, a handful of cases. Uh, George Floyd, and then of course there's the Garner case out of New uh, New York that we that we all witnessed uh, that uh, where a chokehold of some sort uh, um, by a police officer led to an asthmatic. Uh, well, there was an asthmatic attack, and there was a chokehold, and, and these these two things were were married together, and um, I don't believe that ever resulted in an indictment, but. Um, did it, John? Do you remember the Garner case? He was never, in this went on for like five years with the Department of Justice, but I don't think he was ever indicted, was he? Yeah,
0: I, you know, I, I don't recall. I, I don't recall that. certain.
1: So uh, why, are, why are we not having real discussions about the takedown? Let me, let me ask you, uh, as uh, someone who has handled a number of cases, when you think about serious traumatic injury, can you think of more cases that have been presented to you uh that have involved some sort of carotid neck restraint or uh or these takedown cases where someone has, has been foot swept or while in handcuffs or something like that. What what do you think? What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, short of a shooting, the worst injuries that I've seen have been have been uh just uh fall to the ground cases and both of those that I had um, were handcuff cases. So, you know, that's a situation that I think police officers are involved in that members of the general public will not hopefully come in contact with and that's like escorting somebody or dealing with somebody who's handcuffed with their hands behind their back. Because mm-hmm. once you do that, I mean, that's your baby. You know, in, in under the law
1: That's I mean,
0: right. If you're if you're gonna handcuff somebody with their hands behind their back, you're now in charge. I mean, you're, their safety is in your in your hands, and whether they're drunk or they're high on drugs or whatever the case may be, if they fall face first into the ground into a curb, whatever, I mean, they could be dead. Uh, very easily, much more easily than you think, and I've had that happen in two different cases in West Virginia, and both of them ended up in a coma. Um, the first one, he was in a coma for several weeks, and he ended up coming out of it, and and uh, he he re- pretty much made a full recovery, and it was amazing. If you look at the picture of him in the hospital with a suction um, I, I don't know what it's called, but a, a, a suction thing on his head where they had performed basically brain surgery on him and he's all swollen. And he looks awful and uh, he's unresponsive. And you compare that with you know, when he was able to come to our office later on and we were able to to get him a, a settlement out of the lawsuit from from that occurring. Now, the second guy that that I've had who's who uh, was involved in a police use of force incident while handcuffed? He went into a coma as well, but he never made it out, and and uh, you know he died. And I, I, I traveled to the hospital and I watched the machine breathing for him, and uh, it 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 was really a sad case, and it was all, from what I understand, just one one takedown. And uh, I mean, it could just be a fall, could be an accident, though. This particular case, it, it's believed to have been a uh, an actual takedown by the officer. But if you take somebody down who has their hands handcuffed behind their back, I mean, the 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 uh, the threat level, I mean, just goes goes sky high. And I mean, is has there been any training in that? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. And, you know, it i think i think most off police officers in west virginia i mean they just get whatever training they they give at the west virginia state police academy where they all go and i doubt that there's a whole lot of of training after that except for the guys that train in brazilian jiu-jitsu which brings us back to this and a lot of jiu-jitsu i'm sure you're you're probably wanting to say a lot of jiu-jitsu a part of what you train, especially when you're when you're teaching kids from from the, the beginner levels is how to fall and not hurt yourself and how to, to how to fall with somebody else and not hurt the other guy because you don't you, you don't get better by hurting yourself or hurting your training partner. So That's right. That's right. you you really you really do learn to fall um safely. And I've I've heard from from cops who do jujitsu that you know, the one of the scariest things for them is taking people down. They're they're not confident that they can use their jujitsu to take this person down like they would do so on the mat. And and I think that's good because it makes them overly cautious. They understand that that uh the real danger really is taking somebody down the wrong way, especially if they're drunk, and they hit their head just a freak thing and boom, they're they're dead or they're in a coma. And you, I, you, you know, ahead. John,
1: we are just talking about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu training, and you know, training in itself is a continual process. It's not, it's not this magic field. And the, what the police want to, uh, I say when I say the police, I, I'm, I'm talking about. The decision makers, right? I'm talking, and and probably even beyond that, I'm I'm talking about from a legislative perspective. But you know, they're doing in-service trainings, which lasts for about two hours. This is something that has to become a regular routine in your life, uh, or, or this training. And if you take the job as a police officer, you know, um, you should. I, I think you're obligated to. Do this type of training, you know, inevitably you're going to have to handle drunk and combative people. That's that's part of that's part of what you do and equipping yourself with the right skill set to do so, uh, I think, should be I think should be a mandate. And unfortunately, uh, you know, just as we talked, we're seeing the pendulum swing so far to the right now that that. uh, you know, officers are are afraid to employ techniques that we might learn. You know, while you were talking, I was thinking. Since I, I've been in Cincinnati for about a year and a half up here training, and uh, uh, the place where I train up here, there are uh, guys that have fought competitively at a very high level. Some of you know UFC uh, guys, and I've trained with a lot of these guys, and and certainly I don't train at at, at these guys' level. Uh, but I've, I've I've never once received a significant injury from being armbarred or wrist locked or choked by one of these individuals. Why, why is that? It's because it's because a level of proficiency, they have a level of proficiency with the tactics that they're employing. And that's, uh, and and that's why uh, we're able to train every day uh, round after round after round and not, and not receive serious injuries.
0: Right. And you can go to any of these, these, uh, tournaments le- that, you know, little John competes in. And I mean, you, you can sit there and watch li- kids like little John, um, you know, do what people would call choke holds yeah. all day long to, to other kids. And then they both, uh, get up maybe one's crying, maybe, maybe not, but, but they're fine. They shake hands, shake the other coach's hands. And I mean, you sit there and watch kids do that all day and they're all, they're all fine. All right. So um, if, if a 10 or
1: 11 year old or 12 year old, if, if these as, 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 parents and, and, and members of a community decide that this is an acceptable way to train our children, well, surely to goodness, we can all agree that it's an acceptable way that we should be training our, our police officers for goodness sakes. Um, so
0: somebody had asked here, let me see, um, what's the significance of giving legal notice prior to restraint? Um, I don't quite understand the question uh, what's the significance of giving legal notice prior to restraint you know he asked that that question a bunch of times do you understand what he's talking about
1: i don't there's some sort of um uh implication there maybe that uh you should you should tell somebody that they could be harmed by this maneuver maybe uh you know potentially well unfortunately uh, real-time scenarios just don't unfold that way. Oftentimes, uh, uh, it, it, it's without warning. There's something that we possess called the OODA loop, John, and, and that refers to observe, orient, decide, and act. And that's the process our body has to go through to be able to respond to an attack. And, you know, unfortunately, we during this time, this OODA loop is going on. We're observing, we're orienting to what just happened to us. We're deciding what our reaction is going to be. And then we're acting on it. And, you know, unfortunately we're, you're not, uh, you're not typically um, in most of these scenarios, you're just not in a situation where you can inform someone of that. And well, quite frankly, somebody how on met may not care <laughs> that they could be injured.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that's sort of like, uh, like, all right, before you attack me, you know, I mean, it's in a bar fight scenario. It's like, all right, before you, you, before you attack me, I have a I have a legal duty to warn you that <laughs> I am a you know a three stripe white belt in Brazilian okay. jiu jitsu. Right. So right. so you, you you've you've been warned.
1: It's great self defense. I mean, like if it works and the guy's like, oh okay, well it was great self defense, right? You know. So uh, I, I can't I can't uh, I can't say that it doesn't make sense. I guess.
0: Yeah. So I mean, what. So to make a long story short here, I mean, what what do you think, I mean, as far as going forward, uh, I mean, do you think that if, if you were working as a police officer now, just a, a guy on the, cop on the street doing, interacting with people, traffic stops, putting yourself in a position where you're going to end up in use of force situations, controlling drunk people, dealing with mentally ill people, whatever, whatever the case may be. Are you, would you, are you still, or would you still be comfortable, you know, training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu?
1: The answer to that is a definitive yes, John, because, uh, I think that, uh, I think the proficiency that you gain in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu allows you to control and handle people in ways that will result in lesser number of injuries. And, uh, you know, those, those injuries that, uh, that really expose us to, to litigation is, is when someone, uh, when someone receives serious debilitating injuries. Uh, and, and I still believe that Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the way to accomplish a very difficult job. Uh, and, uh, uh, and not only that, but, but officer safety, keeping yourself safe, you know, uh, absolutely. I would train Brazilian jiu-jitsu unquestionably.
0: I saw back when I was arguing with somebody over whether police officers should train or could train brazilian jiu-jitsu without having it eased against them or without getting fired i was i was googling it and i saw that there are some specific uh jiu-jitsu academies who were really catering towards law enforcement and they were running law enforcement specific programs and i think some of these were out west me in california or something and uh And uh, so it wasn't just regular Brazilian jiu-jitsu training, but it was kind of law enforcement specific. Is that, I mean, you think that that's, 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 uh, is that, should that be a thing or, or is there a difference there? I mean, I guess practicing with like all your kid on, I guess, I mean, that, that would be something that would be worthwhile. That's different, but um, are there different strategies that would help? I mean, would it be something maybe for some of these academies to do um, in 2020 now, when when use of force is going to become much, uh, it's going to be really scrutinized. um, Should some of these academies look at maybe law enforcement specific programs and cater to law enforcement um, as far as their students? Or, I mean, do you think that just regular jujitsu, especially since the learning curve is so high and you need to train for a number of years, before you even get really proficient with it. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, uh, so uh, academies already, uh, have such a difficult time just because of the attrition rate in, in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It, it's, it can be a difficult business anyway, John, because it, it, people, the people that are coming through the door and that will be with you three years later, uh, are a, a very small percentage you know and i've heard varying percentages about that so so you the number of if you were relying on law enforcement only to keep your doors open that would be that would be impossible because you, you, you couldn't you couldn't pay the light bill um now do i think there's a a company up here by one of one of our black belts up here kevin watson is running a company called carter and they're doing a lot of law enforcement training right now and um I don't know exactly uh, the i'm sure he's making um amendments to, to and his training is evolving uh from from the last year or so because of the changes that have come about but you know there are some there there are no secret moves that law enforcement are going to be taught that someone coming through brazilian jiu-jitsu academy will not um the the biggest difference that i can think of our you know handcuffing techniques and things like that you know certainly in brazilian jiu-jitsu we're not we're not training in in handcuffing techniques and and uh you know ways to to put people in restraints so
0: was there, a uh there's a comment here i'll put up by uh i i forgot is his name uh he said you need to get a hold of don McRae. i'll put up his other comment basically he says don McRae is a longstanding police officer with a program that offers free Individual whole departments, and he would highly disagree with this man. I, I was just wondering if you knew who that was. I don't,
1: John. You know, it, it it's funny. Uh, th- there's no there there is no there are a number of people out there that offer offer um, trainings of of varying topics, right, as it relates to to restraint and arrest and, and, and all of those things. And I'm certain that a a quick Google search, you can, you can find people to align with my way of thinking. And, uh, you can also find people that would, uh, would, would certainly uh, contrast in the way that I think.
0: Yeah, certainly same thing in the the gun community as well. I mean, you'll get, you'll get, you know, a hundred different opinions on, on, uh, you know, how you should train to shoot firearms. And also, I mean, here, Google this: um, what to say to the police after a self-defense shooting. You know, it's it's so, funny. I, I mean, you-
1: I, I work with some folks up here in Cincinnati on basic handgun uh, uh, employment, and they always say, "Well, if they break into my home, can I shoot them?" Right? And you, and so the answer to everything is almost always, "It depends." Right? Uh, no. Right? And and if you get into a disagreement with somebody on the road. And uh, in a road rage incident, both of you pull over and you produce a handgun and you shoot this guy. Can, is it is it a legal and justified shooting? Well, it depends. Are you subject to litigation? Sure. Are you potential uh, potentially going to be indicted? Potentially, you know, potentially be convicted. Potentially. Those are all things that uh, those are all variables, John, that that uh, that you have to deal with in any sort of a self-defense situation, whether it be shooting or whether it be a hands on encounter.
0: And I, I think the 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 actual true answer to some of these questions is is the entire point of why I wanted to do this video and and like you said it depends we have no idea so um, we're gonna have to wait and see what happens next and what comes out of it because anything's on the table now I've never seen an environment the like, like it is now you know it's crazy because before since I'm a lawyer that sues police officers I've I've been kind of a black sheep my entire career you know I mean because people especially in West Virginia you know they want to support their police they don't want to think that there are bad police officers or that good police officers would do bad things they just don't want to feel that way and that's that's human nature that's the way a lot of good people feel so it's it's hard to to get through that barrier of, of just human nature. And now we've, we've gone completely opposite to the point, even in West Virginia, if you look at WVU, their police chief was forced to apologize for having a, a, a pro law enforcement flag inside his own home.
1: I saw can we, that. Can Doing you believe that?
0: Something right? Could you believe that happening just a couple of years ago? No, it's crazy. I mean, it, it's now the default—the default, the default uh, position in advertising on TV and corporate boardrooms. It's it with politicians. The default now is that you know we have a problem with with police, and so I've been saying for 15 years that there are problems out there, and we we need to acknowledge the problems, deal with problems. Um, but now that's become even a, uh, you know, I mean, it's gone, it's gone beyond that to basically all police are bad. Now I know Ooh. people in West Virginia don't feel that way, but, but, uh, if you watch TV commercials or listen to, you know, listen to speeches on TV, I mean, that is, it sounds like more than 50% of the country now are anti-police. And so, if you're a police officer, I mean, you want to think, I, in my opinion, real hard about who your employer is and whether you trust your employer, and whether you're in a jurisdiction that's going to stand behind you if you're involved in a use of force. Um, And if not, maybe find another profession or go somewhere else because I, I think all anything's on the table now in 2020. I think you're going to see justified shootings, justified uses of force. That end up in police officers being indicted mm. and being pro- being prosecuted for what they would not have been prosecuted for a couple of years ago, and what we would probably not be prosecuted for as as individual citizens um, if we did the same thing. Right. So I, I think it's always helpful too w- when you're looking at any of these police videos or to. to to visualize or ask yourself, all right, so let's take the badge and the uniform out of the equation. Is that a justified act of self-defense if it's just me? And that doesn't necessarily answer the question, but it's another way of looking at it because it's really the same, it's the same scenario. Because when you actually get the court, the jury is not given instructions on, on systematic racism. It's just not a part of the court proceedings at all, because um, if there's evidence of it, then then there would be. But I've never had evidence of it in any court proceedings. It's always in one individual's experiences with another individual. What did he know about the person ahead of time? What did he observe when he got to the scene? What was said? Um, what did witnesses see? What did witnesses hear? Those are always the things at play. There's nothing coming into evidence about Black Lives Matter or the Thin Blue Line flags. I mean, none of that stuff is actually. That's just part of the public, the 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 the, uh, public forum of communication, and uh, it's not actually what ends up happening in court. So you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, as time goes on, um, especially like Connecticut. You know, what's going to happen in Connecticut? and is West Virginia going to do any of this stuff now? I, I'd say I'd say not because our legislature isn't meeting till February of 2021, unless I win one of my lawsuits, yes,
1: which is a whole nother but, issue.
0: But in any event, I don't see that happening in, in West Virginia, anyways. In fact, talking about that WVU uh, police chief, there were a number of West Virginia legislators that actually wrote a letter to WVU, kind of taking issue with that. And uh, I just saw the letter yesterday in response from uh, the the president of uh, WBU and and it was kind of a lame response. He said, "Well, you know, since we're a college, we value all viewpoints." And so I had commented sounds
1: like, on. Sounds like a political. Yeah. Sounds like a political uh, uh, statement to me, you know. Uh, and I'm I'm sure he's in a position where he has to make the right political statement.
0: Well. Well, if he says we value all viewpoints, again, I go back to the to the to the point of, and I'm playing devil's advocate here. I don't know why I'm I'm put in the position of defending law enforcement because no one else is, and and I'm I'm usually the guy that's that's <laughs> prosecuting them. But but uh, if if we if we respect all viewpoints, then what about that police officer's or that police chief's viewpoint? I mean, he just had. A thin blue line flag inside his own house. Right. How is that? Re- how is that respecting his viewpoint that he is dragged through the mud, forced to apologize? And if you go to WVU's website right now, that's featured prominently on their website, and they put it out on social media and and so on and so forth. Now, I don't necessarily. I don't have any love for the thin blue line flag. I mean, it, the the term thin blue line to me says yeah, we cover up for our buddies' misconduct. I mean, that that's thats kind of what it brings to mind for me. But since in recent times, since law enforcement has been, you know, it, they've been attacked, they've been accused of being engaged in a, a, a conspiracy, uh, a nationwide conspiracy of, of racism. I can see that people, you know, police officers are, are, uh, you know they, they can kind of they they feel support in that in having a flag of their own you know it's become more of a pro law enforcement i i support the police flag um that for instance you know a father might have might have one because a son's a police officer or mm-hmm. a, a wife might have so i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of transcended into the the the, the main pro law enforcement flag and so, if all viewpoints are respected, then why can't a police officer in the privacy of his own home have the viewpoint of being, you know, pro-police? I support police because I I am the police as well. Um, I think it's quite the opposite, and and uh, you know, uh, one of the main components of of uh, you know, Marxism or, or leftism is that you know, all viewpoints aren't welcome, you know, all viewpoints aren't, aren't welcome at all. And, and some of these leftists are the most intolerant people. They want to censor. So they don't want to hear all viewpoints. They want to, they, they want their viewpoint to be heard or those that they approve of, but they want to censor everyone else. They want to censor opposing viewpoints. And that's what, in a communist and totalitarian societies that's exactly what they do. I mean, you can't hear other viewpoints in China. You can't, you can't have other viewpoints in North Korea. You can't have other viewpoints in, in Singapore. You can't have other viewpoints in Iran or Saudi Arabia or, or Venezuela. I mean, any of these countries, it's not about all viewpoints. It's about, it's about uh, one viewpoint or one side's viewpoint. And uh, I mean, it's, it, it, it just goes to show that I've never seen, I've never, I think we're entering a, a transition point in our country where everybody is being forced to take a side, to pick a side. Oh, you, know, you, 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 yeah. you, it's not enough to just not support us. You have to, to, or it's not enough to, to not take a position. You have to, you, you have to support us or else you're against us. I mean, I mean, things like that. It's forcing, it's forcing our country into picking sides and it, it's, more, it's more of a promoting more of a tribalism rather than critical thinking. And our country was founded on critical thinking. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And uh, I, I haven't seen any lack of phone calls coming in for excessive uh, force cases because sure. there's this police officers are still out there. They're still dealing with people every day. And, uh, and uh, I mean, it will be interesting to see how it's changed in, in the court system with all this chokehold stuff. And I suppose
1: the one thing I that, that I hope um, when, when the legislature, well, and like you said, I, I doubt, I doubt the legislature in West Virginia will take this up. But as we start with this, police reform. And certainly we are in the midst of that all across the country. Um, I hope the decision makers there are people that have, uh, people that have experience in uh, law enforcement, as well as uh, uh, higher level grappling and and martial arts and, and some, somebody that can marry all of these, some, people that can marry these things together and on the other side of this come up with common sense solutions. And, uh, because watching, watching this thing, uh, you know, as I said, a few minutes ago, watching this pendulum swing from so far left to so far right to the majority of us, John, we just look at this and we say, this is absurd. This is, you know, this is absolutely absurd what I'm seeing. And, and, uh, um, we can all agree that there do need to be some changes. We can all uh, agree on probably a lot of what those changes should be. But, you know, politicians can't uh, sit behind their desks and and, and, uh, and make all of the rules of engagement while uh, they're asking people to go out uh, with an empty tool belt. And uh, uh, and. Uh, be effective. And, and at the end of the day, you know, all, all these, all these folks got to go home to their families at the end of the night, you know, and, uh, and hopefully we can do that with good common sense legislation that, that meets it, meets the needs of everyone, the public, the police, and all in between.
0: Well, you can't, yeah, exactly, exactly what you said. It's like sending the military to Iraq and tying their hands behind their back and telling yeah. them that you, you can't, you can't, Uh, you can't fire unless fired upon first. right? And you know that, I mean, it's sort of like that because that's not the law here. I mean, if somebody points a gun at us, then, you know, as long as it's uh, reasonable under the circumstances, then we can fire first before they shoot us. Otherwise, otherwise it defeats the purpose. So that anytime that, that you're taking and, and uh, giving police, Um, rules that are less than the basic self-defense principles that we all have as Americans, that I think it's a slippery slope after that. And, you know, anytime you're attacked by another human being, whether you're a police officer, whether you're working at a a drugstore or whatever, you have the right to use self-defense, period. And if they're going to deprive that, if the government is going to deprive that from you, that in, in and of itself is a civil rights violation. I don't see how they can, they can get away with it. Um, but they're going to try to get away with it and not because it's the right thing to do, but it's because they're virtue signaling or they're trying to score political points. So, but like I said, we go back to the law of unintended consequences. You know, we don't know yet what those unintended consequences are going to be, but, but it'll be interesting to see. And, uh, you know, I'm I sure wouldn't want it to be me to be the police officer that, that found out in some of these cases, you know, well, what is going to happen? So. So anyways, I've got to I've got to run here because I've got a meeting coming up, but uh, I appreciate you spending your uh, lunch break with me here and and uh, enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Yeah, and hopefully I'll see you soon in in Cincinnati if our uh, our dear leader, our supreme governor, um, allows. <laughs> You're allows, not allowed uh, past
1: the state line, John. You have to stay. I think you have to stay in West Virginia for now. or They won't let you
0: come back home. <laughs> yeah, I'm. You know, it, I'm pretty sure that there's a drone hovering above above my office at all times, and they're just watching me. And yeah. uh, that, or there's a GPS tracker on my power wagon. And it's, they're waiting for me to try to cross the state line into Ohio. Then they're going to, then then they're going to descend on me. So the governor of
1: it, Ohio just tested positive, uh, for coronavirus. And then, uh, a test later in the day, he tested negative. So, uh,
0: Oh, I, I didn't hear that. I didn't mm-hmm. hear that.
1: Yeah. He tested negative, both of which, I, I, both of which he got back within 30 minutes as test results. And, I have some friends right now. They've been waiting for a week, so uh, with no word.
0: But anyway, that'll be
1: uh, that'll that'll stir up some. Yeah,
0: Lord, don't get me started on coronavirus stuff. I'll <laughs> be here for no- I'll be here for another hour. But um, anyways, it's good having you, and and uh, yeah. we'll we'll have to we'll have to talk again soon. Maybe maybe we'll go through some uh, police videos on YouTube, and we'll do like a. Uh, um, Former law enforcement jujitsu guy reacts to video. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's what's your, what's your, it's called armchair quarterbacking. I'm pretty good yeah. at armchair quarterbacking.
0: Yeah. Arm, armchair jujitsu. So, anyways, Adam, it's good talking to you. I'll all see you, you next time. Appreciate it. All
1: right, my and, brother. Uh,
0: to all right. So, thanks for watching. Unfortunately, I have to get back to work now. But again, uh I'll see you next time. Check out my blog, thecivilrightslawyer.com. If you need to email me, jhb at johnbryanlaw.com. And I will see, yeah, next week, probably sometime. Uh, Also, remember, follow the guidelines. Again, I encourage all businesses that are allowed to open to do so only if they can follow the guidelines to keep West Virginia safe.